Every bad decision. Every mistake. Every compromise. All my best moments. My successes. My victories. The pain I've suffered. And the pain I've caused. These are all part of my story. But what if it all could be? Rewritten. He wasn't sure exactly what woke him up. He just startled himself awake and he opened his eyes. He opened his eyes, but he saw nothing. No light, no shapes, no movement. He never saw anything. He was blind. His fingers began to trace the the rough stone that he was laying on that he called a bed. He was searching for a crust of bread that had been thrown at him the day before. Yesterday's weapon was today's breakfast. The insult that came along with the bread carried a name with it. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, son of the unclean. That's what it meant. You filthy, judged, cursed beggar. But he took the bread with gratitude and he munched on it because it was all he had. He ate in silence and then he drew his cloak around his shoulders, straightened himself up and prepared himself for the day. He did what he did every single day, stood up and then began to walk down the wall, six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, left turn. Stepped outside of the doorway and into the light. He could feel the light on his face. Hard turn to the right, 14 steps down the alleyway that he called his home. Hard left hand turn, six steps down the wall. And then a moment of faith when he stretched his hands in front of him and watched 16 paces, hoping that he would run into the wall with his fingers before he ran into it with his nose. Another left hand turn, 18 more steps out into the middle of nowhere until he felt the gravel underneath of his feet transition. And then he opened up his cloak and sat down because that was his spot. And he laid out his cloak waiting for crusts, coins, and insults because that's what he got every single day. And then Mark chapter 10 happens. The Bible says, then they came to Jericho. If you were here last weekend, we were in the Old Testament understanding of Jericho, this old city where God showed up in a powerful way and delivered this city Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. If you are an astute Bible scholar, which I'm assuming some of you are, you probably read the story that at the end of the vanquishing of this particular city, Jericho puts a curse, or Joshua puts a curse over top of it and says, if you ever rebuild the walls of this city, you'll be cursed and it'll cost you your firstborn son. A guy by the name of Herod the Great shows up and says, I'm going to build a summer residence. If you ever come to Israel with me, and I hope that you will, you'll notice something. He built new Jericho just across the road from old Jericho. Smart guy. Jesus only comes to Jericho one time to meet a friend. Then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples came. They were leaving the city, and a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Do me a favor. It's not going to be weird. Close your eyes. Come on, don't be defiant. All these people with oppositional defiant disorder, just close your eyes for a second and put yourself in his shoes. You can't see. 
and you've heard somebody say, call him. And you have a little shred of hope that says, if I can just get to him, the owner of the voice, he may be able to heal me. Keep your eyes closed. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, I want to see. Open your eyes. And don't ever take your vision for granted again. Is that a teachable moment for everybody? Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And he immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus had lived with that label his entire life. The ancient religious understanding of the time would have said that he was cursed by God. That's why he was blind. He had done something wrong. So he'd been labeled unclean, unfortunate. He's the dirty beggar that everybody had to walk through on their road towards or through Jericho up towards Jerusalem. Nobody can deny the power of a name. If you were ever called a bad name in middle school or in high school, it stuck to your soul, didn't it? You can say it didn't affect you. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But we all know that's not true, right? Words sting. It's the power of a name. His name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. If you actually break down the Timaeus part of it, this is literally what his name meant. Son of the unclean. Imagine living your life with that hanging around your neck. The unclean one is sitting by the side of the road and he hears whispers that Jesus is coming. He hears whispers because when you can't see, your ears become finely tuned. You can literally see with what you hear. Bartimaeus is in that spot and he hears a rumor that a man is coming who can actually heal blind people. So what does he do? He screams at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, meaning royalty, have mercy on me. He screams. That's the power of desperation right there. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When you've lost hope, when you don't know where else to turn, when the predictable trajectory of your life actually seems to be pointing towards more heartbreak, you cry out to God, even if you don't believe in him. You cry out to God because you just want someone to hear you. Maybe you've heard yourself saying something like this in a different way. Let me give you some modern paraphrases of the same statement. Maybe you found yourself saying, I'll never be free of this. Or I've been laid off after 30 years, what do I do now? Or she was my whole life, but now she's gone. Or I cannot believe the doctor said cancer. Or I can't believe one stupid mistake would make me lose absolutely everything. Or I just thought things would be better by now. Or we didn't raise him or her to make these kinds of choices. Or I don't think I can ever forgive him. Or I don't think I can ever forgive her. Or I deserve better than this. Or how are we ever going to recover from this? Or I just wish we could go back to the way things were. Or I feel like I missed my entire life calling. Or I just want my marriage to get fixed. Or I just need somebody to help. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd's so predictable, right? Walking down the road, enjoying their little parade, and this guy starts chirping in the corner, and he's loud. He's loud. And the reaction is, hey, excuse me, hey, pipe down. Quiet down, zip it, like we're trying to have a nice parade here, and you're interrupting us with all of this, you know, all this rhetoric and all this kind of stuff and bringing the attention towards yourself. Here's what we need you to do. We need you to mind your own business, be politically correct, and let the parade just pass you on by. Just zip. Essentially what they're saying is shut your mouth. 
that's easy to say when you're not the one that's desperate. Truth? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When you're desperate and there's a single sliver of hope, you know how you respond when people tell you to pipe down? You yell louder. You scream at the top of your lungs. You turn the volume up, not down, because that's your sliver of hope passing by. Son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says Jesus stopped and called to the people who were telling him to shut up, says to them, you call him. Call him. That's the power of a call. Can you imagine their response? If it was me in that moment, I'd be like, excuse me? You want me to call him? What about me? I've been a part of the parade since we started all the way back here. I'm a good kid. I learned my manners. I know when to raise my, I raise my hand before I just speak out in class. I mean, I look at me. I'm a prime example of someone that you should call. You want to call him the obnoxious one on the side of the road? Seriously. What does Jesus say? Call him. What happens next is the most classic moment in all of the Bible of image management and hypocrisy because they flip literally from shut up to cheer up. That's what your Bible actually says they say to him. They're like, oh, you want to talk to him? Okay. Hey, buddy, cheer up. He's calling you. Why don't you come this direction? Look at me, Jesus. I'm making way for this really nice guy. He was talking loud. And I know you apparently don't have an issue with that, so I'm just going to like make sure nobody gets in the way of this guy. I'm going to bring my buddy here. Me and Bartimaeus, we are tight. Look at this, right, right, buddies. There's a difference between shut up and come here. Can you imagine Bartimaeus' response? Me? Yeah, Jesus is calling you. He's calling me. I can't, I can't see him. I can hear him. I heard him say, call him. Are you sure I'm the right him? Absolutely, you're the right one. There it is. There's just a sliver of hope. And that's the power of hope. The power of hope for Bartimaeus come from the fact that God was calling him. The blind man response. It's not the kind of response that normally we would do. It's an amazing thing. And don't just jump over top of it. The Bible says, throwing his cloak aside. Don't just blow past that. His cloak, think about it. Probably the only possession that he actually owned. He's a broke beggar on the side of the road. It's what brought him warmth by night. It was his sole means of gathering food and coins and insults. And the Bible says he just threw it aside and moves in the direction of the one who's calling him. That's the way of hope. And boy, do we get stuck there, don't we? But Jesus, this is the only thing I know. This is the only thing that brings me security. Are you sure I've got to leave this behind? This, this is my predictable pattern day after day. I just don't know if I've got the faith to actually step out. Bartimaeus doesn't get stuck there. If he got stuck there, you know what he'd be doing? He'd be sitting by the road screaming for the rest of his life. Here's our issue for so many of us. We're sitting on the side of the road screaming at the top of our lungs. When God calls us away from that spot, we refuse to move. We'd rather sit there and scream, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Some of you are here today, let's get really practical. You're saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on my marriage, it's broken. Do you care about it enough to actually move? Let's make it really practical. Do you care enough about it to move here on Friday night and next Saturday because there's a marriage conference going on that you could come and actually benefit from? Just asking the question. No, no, I don't want to move. Then sit there and scream. That's what you're choosing to do. 
We all have issues, right? We all have stuff, and yet God calls us to leave that behind and move in a direction that actually takes something called faith. And I love the fact, I mean, you can just picture it in your head, right? Bartimaeus can't see. Don't forget that. The man is blind. When he starts moving towards Jesus, I'm sure he started bumping into stuff, started bumping into people. It didn't matter. I'm just going in the direction of the voice that said, call him. I just deduced, I'm him. I'm going in that direction because there's something there. There's hope there. Can I just give you permission to do something here at Christ the King? If you're going after Jesus, it's okay to bump into stuff around here. You're going to bump into former belief systems. You're going to bump into people that maybe are on the same journey that you're on. Feel free to bump away. Because we're all on that journey, just searching as best we can, trying to get face to face with the Jesus who loves us. And then he finds them. We have the power of a question, right? What do you want me to do for you? I love the humanness of his answer. I want to see. I want to, I want to see. Now some of us would go, isn't that a very obvious question to ask? There's something very powerful about saying it out loud. God's not going to make an assumption on you. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. Church, let me ask you a question. What would your answer be if Jesus asked you the same question right now? What's the desire of your heart today, right now? What do you really want? What do you need from God? And let me say this. If your answer has anything to do with your fantasy football league, what does that say about you? Just throwing it out there, right? In the depth of your soul, not on the surface of all of our predictable American lives, in the depth of your soul, if Jesus stood in front of you right now and said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? Not the first thing that pops in your head. What's down in the bottom of of your gut? Well, you'll notice if you look in your outline that I left room for you to write it down. I think there's something powerful about writing it down, saying it out loud. Whatever it is, if Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? Write it down. Just write it down. I'll tell you my answer. I want for my wife the same miracle that Bartimaeus got. We have been praying together for 22 plus years asking for that miracle. And we will not stop because Jesus is our only hope. So we have attached ourselves. I have my thing. My wife has her thing. You have your thing. That's what I want. If someone asked me if Jesus was here right this second, and I believe he is. And he said, Grant, what do you want me to do for you? I would say, I want you to heal Laurel. That's what I want. Whatever you want from God, write it, say it, pray it. I don't care if you prayed it once before and then gave up praying it because you thought God was ignoring you. Close your eyes just for a second and whisper to God the desire of your heart. He already knows what it is. You're not filling him in on a mystery. He knows what you want more than anything. But there's something about saying it. That's why he asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I want to see comes an amazing twist, okay? Here comes the power of permission. This kind of throws me off. Jesus says this, go, 
said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. That kind of freaked me out. Why didn't Jesus say stay? Stay. Your faith has healed you. You got what you wanted, but instead, it's like he opens a door for permission. Your faith has been realized. You got what you wanted, and now you've got a decision to make. Go. Your faith has healed you. That's an amazing question, right? Once you've got what you came to God for, then where do you go? Where do I go from here? That's a good question. After you get what you want, where do you go? I mean, if God said yes to the desire of your heart, what you wrote down, what you whispered, what you pictured in your mind, if God said yes to that, would you use that as an opportunity to just go and do your own thing and grab the pen back and start writing your own story again? Would you use it as an opportunity to to reprioritize your life and kind of go and do your own deal, whatever that happened to be? I mean, what would you use God's gift or miracle to you for as permission? Where would you go? I'm blown away by the response of Bartimaeus to his healing. We find it in the power of a decision. The Bible says immediately. Uh, Don't we all want immediately? Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love that. I got healed. I can go anywhere I want to. You even said I could go in any direction. Well, guess what? I choose to go with the one that just made me see. I'll go with you. I could go my own way, write my own story. No, thank you. I choose to go with the one who just rewrote the predictable trajectory of my life. You know, for many of us, we want that instantaneous moment, don't we? We want it right. Now, I'll be honest. When I read stories like this, I get jealous. I'm a little jealous of Bartimaeus because I end up playing a game. Like, I wonder how long he'd been waiting for this moment. And I find myself saying, God, do you know how long we've been waiting? It's more than two decades. That's a really, really long time. We want it now and we forget that attached to Bartimaeus' moment was an entire lifetime. My friends, don't lose the lifetime waiting for the moment. Live the lifetime that leads up to the moment. You got to keep living. You got to keep moving. You have to keep pursuing Jesus in everything. That's a a definition, if you want to put it that way, is faith. I mean, Laurel and I have been praying for this for a long time. This story is personal for me. I mean, and God spoke so powerfully in my heart this week when he said this. He said, Grant, faith is when we follow while we still can't see. Let me say that again so it sinks in. Faith is when we follow while we still can't see. When there's that time between the request and God's perfect timing, all that in between and all the life that happens, that's a journey of faith that God calls us to and says, will you trust me? You're probably going to bump into a few things. You might trip and fall and stumble, but that's okay. I promise you at some point we will come face to face. I will ask you, what can I do for you? And I will answer. Faith is when we follow while we still can't see, when the marriage still isn't whole, when the kids are still on the run and you don't know where they are, when the diagnosis is dire and scary, when the days are long and your prayers are weak and you just don't think you can go one more day. Faith is when we follow while we still can't see. Bartimaeus followed and we've got the same choice, right? 
I got this from a member of our church family who's choosing to follow in faith even though life looks unbelievably scary. He said, the deepest level of worship is praising God in spite of the pain, thanking God during the trials and trusting Him when we're tempted to lose hope and loving Him even when He seems distant and far away. Because at my lowest, God is my hope. At my darkest, God is my light. At my weakest, God is my strength. And at my saddest, God is my comfort. Can I get an amen from somebody 1115? <laughs> Commentators and linguists have been arguing about Bartimaeus' name for centuries. In fact, if you want an enjoyable afternoon, go to your computer and Google meaning of the name Bartimaeus and you will get all different kinds of people arguing back and forth about this piece and that piece and this piece and that piece because the reality is his name is a combination of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, all kind of wrapped together in one big riddle. We run into this in our own language, we just go right through it. If I say the word comb to you, C-O-M-B. Some of you will think about combing through a huge pile of information, looking for that, that one little quote that you're going to use in your essay. You're combing through the information to get what you want. Other people, I say the word comb, and you think about some little piece of plastic that you run through your hair to make it look good. Both are right. They're just different. In the case of Bartimaeus, it comes down to pronunciation more than anything. Because it does mean, his name does mean son of the unclean. He's the dirty one that you're supposed to ignore on the side of the road. The one that will not be quieted. The one who screams at the top of his lungs. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's the one that gets his healing. It does mean son of the unclean. But if you pronounce it differently, it also means son of honor. Some people are like, is that a mistake, Grant? I don't think so. I think that's Jesus. I mean, in the language of a human story, Bartimaeus is broken and unclean. You're not supposed to have anything to do with him. But in the power of a rewritten name, Jesus would prefer that you pronounce Bartimaeus' name correctly. That man, that blind, formerly blind man, because of Jesus, his name pronounced correctly is Son of Honor. Before his moment with Jesus and his decision to follow in faith, that name probably would have seemed like a cruel joke. But after his encounter with Jesus and his decision to follow him, I don't know about you, I think that name's perfect. Son of Honor. Everybody else in the parade, they thought they were the honorable ones. All the disciples that thought they had their spiritual act together and instead Jesus ends up saying, call him. Call my son of honor to me and watch what I do. I read the story of Bartimaeus and you know what I see? I see a perfect rewrite. He should have died by the side of the road out of human neglect. Instead, he follows Jesus as one of his disciples because God said, the story that you think you're on right now, that's not the story I created for you. Hand me the pen and watch me write. We have a young man in our church. His name is Miles. Miles is a beautiful example of a rewrite. And I've had a front row seat for the last two and a half years watching Jesus 
give sight to a spiritually blind man. I would love for you to see his story. Let's watch it together. My name is Miles Irvin, and I uh, grew up in Blaine, Washington. Uh, my family moved to Blaine when I was in third grade. When I was uh, younger, um, kind of got around a little bit of a rough crowd, going out and partying. I was uh, started drinking at a pretty young age and started uh, smoking weed and, and doing other drugs when I was you know, younger. Taking pills and, and drinking at a younger age um, had a toll on every aspect of my life. Um, school started really not going well. I didn't, uh, didn't come clean with my family. Uh, I kind of kept it in secret. I got my GED and I left school and started working. Most of my paychecks were, were just going for my addiction. I uh, eventually got laid off and I got really bad into the drug scene and uh, you know, driving um, drug dealers around. Uh, we were moving stuff from Mount Vernon up to here had this great idea of just running from my problems and just getting up and leaving and running down to Seattle. My original uh, thought was to go down there and to get clean, you know, and uh, unfortunately it didn't work out. When I was down in the streets of Seattle, I could pick locks and I picked a lock into a storage unit um, just to get out of the elements. Thought came in of how many things of value are in those storage units. I remember finding, you know, jewelry inside there and gold and silver and basically pawn them. I would sell them. I got really bad into doing that. Cops were starting to catch on and what I was doing down there. And I eventually worked up to uh, making it onto Washington's Most Wanted because of that. When I was down in Seattle, um, I had a, a close friend die. I, I felt my number was up. That, you know, I was gonna die out there in the streets that, uh, you know, I had no hope and uh, I couldn't break free. The thing I thought was just, my family at least deserves a phone call. And so I did. I, I gave him a phone call. I told him that I had a close friend die and that uh, I just wanted to tell him I love him. And that was me kind of saying goodbye. I got stopped by uh, three bike cops. They arrested me and uh, I knew I was going away for a while. You know, I just didn't know how long. I remember getting there and finding a Bible. And I started reading. I started praying in clear words, you know, um, in prayer. And I had this peace that came over me. I, I, for once, you know, felt like that God seen me, that he was there. And when I felt that, um, I felt the most hope I've ever had in my life. I spent six months in downtown Seattle waiting to be charged, waiting to be sentenced. They knew I was an addict. They knew I needed help. They said that uh, if I agree to go to treatment in prison, that uh, they will cut my time in half. And I agreed. So they sentenced me to six years. They cut my time in half, and I still got a third off for good time. And so I uh, got sent here to uh, Bellingham Work Release. I started getting active in, uh, in church. I, uh, the first week, you know, I took a bus, you know, to, to come to CTK. And um, when I reflect back on the person I was down in Seattle, um, it does, it, it scares me. You actually do abandon hope and, and you just lose yourself. That you don't need to use a substance to be happy. That God can change that. He can change the desires of your heart. Been clean and sober for uh, 
about two and a half, over two and a half years. And I just want to thank my family. That's what helps sustain me, you know, in my recovery. It's just my love for my family. If I didn't believe in Jesus, and if I didn't know God, I would believe now because of the difference that I've seen in Miles. I have seen a lame man walk. I've seen a man who has been born blind that can now see. Miles is so different. He is so unpredictably different than, than what he was a few years ago that it is so clear something happened. I would say for the first time in our adult lives, we have a brother. For years, it was miles of running, miles of hopelessness, miles of pain. And then Jesus interrupts the whole thing. And now it's the story of the miles of God's pursuit and the miles of God's dogged faithfulness when he would not give up on a young man that was trying to push him out of his life. It's miles and miles of God's faithfulness. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Rob's testimony of drug addiction and all of this stuff. I mean, we're just adding another person to the chapter, right? Rob should be dead. Grant should be doing infomercials. Miles, Miles should be in jail. But we share something in common. Two words. But Jesus. But Jesus. He steps in. He delivers. He opens eyes. Sometimes physically, sometimes spiritually. He's the one that changes the trajectory of a human being's life and rewrites a different ending. And if he can do it for me and Miles... I know he can do it for you. So here's what we're going to do. In fact, I need you to help me out. So if you've got a little one with you and they're just like squirmy and talking and stuff like that, if you could just, if you could slip out right now, we're just going to use some quiet time here at the end of the service. It'd be really, really helpful for us because we're just going to take a moment and focus. We're going to step into the story a little deeper. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I've prayed with people who are terminal to this weekend. I've prayed for people who've lost hope. I've prayed for people that, that have been abused. What do you want God to do for you? Because in a moment, we're going to pray and ask Him to heal. I hope you'll just kind of step into this moment because what we're going to do is we're going to pray and then we're going to respond. And so right now, I'm just going to invite you. Would you bow your head and just close your eyes just so we can focus together in this moment? Your eyes are closed. And right now, you can't see. And the God of the universe comes to you just like he came to Bartimaeus. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Whisper it. You can tell him. He already knows. 
as we continue to pray. Some of you are here today and like Bartimaeus, you have something physically that's broken. And you want God to heal. And I'm going to ask you to do something just as a symbol of your dependence on God. If you need physical healing today, just like a little child would lift their hands to their mother or their father to find a place of safety, if you need physical healing, would you just stretch both of your hands towards heaven right now? Just lift them straight up all over the room. Father God, I pray in the power of Jesus' name and under the authority of the blood shed on the cross, I thank you that you see these hands stretched to heaven. I thank you that you saw Bartimaeus' outstretched hands as he stumbled and staggered towards you. And I pray, God, in the power of Jesus' name, would you heal my brothers and sisters whose hands are outstretched to you God, you know every one of the needs. You know your perfect timing. God, we are so not fussy. If you choose to do it medically, we will receive that. If you choose to do it miraculously, we will receive that. God, all we ask is give us an opportunity to brag about you, to shout about you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on us. You are our only hope. Father, if we must wait, give us the faith to follow you even while we still can't see. Lord Jesus, heal. Humbly we ask. In Jesus' name. You can put your hands back down as we continue to pray. Some of you were picked by God. He called you today because you needed to see Miles' story. And today in this moment, what you want more than anything, the blank in your outline just said Jesus. You want what he's done for Miles and Rob and Grant and thousands of others for you. Well, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer right now. And to receive everything that God has for you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus. I humbly ask that you would open my eyes. That you would open my eyes to see how much you love me. That you've never abandoned me. That I've never been out of your care. God, I pray today you'd open my eyes so that I could see how your love was so strong that it took you to a cross so that you can forgive my sin. And God, right now, in faith believing, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord. I ask for forgiveness for my sin. And I believe, God, I declare that you raised him to life and now you are raising my spirit to life too. God, I have no other option, so I choose to follow you. I will follow you down the road for the rest of my life because I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind but now I see. If 
you prayed that prayer, we believe God has done a transformative work in your life just in the last few seconds. We believe whatever the world has told you about yourself and all the labels it's assigned to you, we believe all of those have completely disappeared in the power of Jesus' name and that he's rewriting the ending to your life. And if you prayed that prayer today, I would so love to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up into the air right now? Just slip it straight up. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you and all over that back section. God bless you. Lord Jesus, thank you that the God who healed Bartimaeus is still healing hearts, souls, lives, and bodies today. God, we thank you for who you are and what you are doing. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, those who raised both hands asking for physical healing, those who raised one hand asking for spiritual healing. God, I thank you that this is just a first step. I pray, God, that they would fully surrender the pen and allow you to write the final chapter of their life. God, I pray that you would inspire them, and I thank you for the honor and privilege it is to be a church family that can walk alongside of them. Lord, I thank you for everything you have done today, and we give you praise as the God who is still transforming lives, and we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen.